Hello, and welcome to the DC Insider Employer Update Podcast. This podcast updates you with the expertise and current insight of the Washington, D.C.-based attorneys from the Fortney Scott Law Firm. Each episode highlights the most important issues and analysis that employers need to know in order to understand and react to key federal developments affecting their business. The information contained in this podcast is provided for informational purposes only and should not be construed as legal advice on any subject matter. Now let's turn it over to our host, David Fortney. Hi, everyone. This is David Fortney from Fortney Scott, and welcome to a special edition of the DC Insider Employer Update podcast. Today, we are continuing our discussion with EEOC Commissioner Keith Sonderling. And we're going to be talking about artificial intelligence, or AI. AI is something that Keith has been spending a lot of time focusing on, in addition to his day job, if you will, as EEOC commissioner. But this comfortably falls within the scope of his responsibilities there. Indeed, Keith recently published an op-ed piece in HR Dive that very effectively addresses a number of employers' key concerns involving the application of AI. And Keith also recently was involved in another podcast under the series called In Machines We Trust, in which there's a great discussion of AI and its application in the workplace. That podcast is uh, being put together by the folks from MIT, and it's session three in which Keith appears. So check that out. With that being said, Keith, let's turn and jump right into it. Why are you so interested in AI in the workplace? Well, when I was actually going through my Senate confirmation process, questions were being asked about this. And prior to COVID, there was some noise in DC about the use of artificial intelligence, not just in the labor and employment sphere, but in the criminal justice system or all across the board. But for me, AI is here. Employers are using it. And many people do not know that. And it's important that employees not only know what they're being subjected to, but for employers to use it on how to use it properly. There's absolutely no regulation and there's no guidance in this area in the labor and employment sphere. And I believe that AI is now touching all aspects of employment, which we'll discuss, and it can be very beneficial. I mean, there are significant benefits to employers using AI that will only benefit the employees, whether it's in the recruiting sphere to um, have unbiased computers, um, look at resumes and not look at uh, names of people that may indicate their their gender, their national origin. It, it may it, it could take so much of the bias out of recruiting that it, that is inherently there and has been there. Um, forever. And it can really, not only that, it can increase the workers' lives by having computers with their resumes match them to their best skills, their, their best career employments, and it can help guide employees to be happy, to go into the jobs they want, and also help their employers put employees in the right places. So we're seeing AI being used from everything from creating job descriptions to hire, to um helping companies sift through hundreds of thousands of resumes to promoting employees and to, to reskilling and upskilling employees. Uh, so we're see it's there, it, it's happening and companies are using it. And if properly used, I believe the benefits are uh, unimaginable. I and mean, this is really, it is stuff of is science fiction, but at the same time, bad actors can use this technology to discriminate 
in ways previously unimaginable. Now you can actually have a computer help you discriminate. And, and that's worse than some of the, could be some of the worst discrimination we've seen, whether it's actual discrimination by using computers to sift out certain genders, national origins, religions, anything you can think of if these computers can sort out um, on those protected characteristics, or in other ways saying that this is the ideal candidate, and that is potentially based on the candidate, on the, the workforce you currently have that may be of one characteristic. So when it's sometimes used to diversify the workforce, if we're only looking at our current workforce and saying, these are our best employees, computer, go find me a bunch of those. Well, that may have what's called a disparate impact, and it may unintentionally um, discriminate against certain protected classes. So there are a lot of benefits here, but there's also extreme risks in using this technology if it goes unchecked and unregulated. I would agree with that. And I would say what we see, and particularly in the last couple of months, as people are standing up their operations quickly, the economy, things are unfolding uh, in a very positive way, and they're looking to really bring on uh, workers, either return them or add new workers, they have a volume problem. I mean, for any job that's up there, there may be many, many, many more than they can handle. They, they themselves typically have skeletal staffs that are trying to do it. So it's leveraging the human resource function. Certainly the clients we deal with, they want to do so soundly. They have the practical problem when they go to get this. Of course, companies don't design this. You typically buy some sort of um, application, a software. It's an, typically an off-the-shelf. It may be modified or customized, depending on what your particular needs are, sorting resumes, helping figure out who should even maybe even conducting the interviews. Uh, there's there's programs that do do all that for you too. But of course, the one of the tricky parts is if there's a problem under our employment laws, the employer is held accountable for the problem because they brought the tool forward. Yet my experience has been most clients when you say, well, how did you decide? You had 5,000 or 500,000 resumes. You interviewed 100. They're like, I don't know. I bought the software and it, it picked them for me. And I right. thought that would be great because I didn't risk one of my managers picking someone incorrectly. And what they're doing is they're potentially uh, exposing uh, discriminatory data sets in their own organization that they fed to the computer because AI only has the algorithms that enable it to make the predictions on data sets, like you said. So if an employer wants to use AI and to bring in more workers, and I know there's an extreme need for uh, workers to come in now, it's reliance on the data, on the potentially existing data can create that a disparate impact. So again, if you're saying that, here's here are my great employees now, here are my 10 great employees, I need to go get another 20 of them, and you give that, machine or the AI or the algorithm or the company, those resumes, what it's going to do, it's right. going to look for those characteristics. And if it's not a diverse group, and if it's not, and it's only looking at certain characteristics, then you may be excluding certain genders. You may be excluding certain uh, national origins, and you're not intending to do so. But under the law, as you know, you don't need to have that intent to discriminate. And computers, they're not thinking right. for the, themselves, and they're just using that data. So if the, if the representative set that's going in is um, discriminatory, the computer is going to mimic that behavior as well, and the employer is going to have to deal with a, a disparate impact lawsuit. So we have the employment discrimination laws. They're focused on the employer. The 
suppliers, the designers of these programs that, that provide softwares and develop the algorithms, they're not typically, they're not typically in your jurisdiction, right? Because your jurisdiction extends to the employers, not those that supply tests or tools that they use. We have jurisdiction over the employers. There are certainly um, very few cases in this area. Right. Uh, to my knowledge, whether or not those vendors are held uh, liable has not been uh, flushed out yet, or there hasn't been the enforcement or those types of um, litigations on that. But from our perspective, the employer is liable for the uh, employment decisions that are made by this computer. Regardless of the vendor, the employer is going to be liable like they would in any other hiring decision. And at the end of the day, whether the, the computer selects it or if a human does it, the law still apply. So in this context where we have very new technology and it's very robust and potentially very positive application in the workplace, how do you see the political landscape? Because you made the point a couple of minutes ago, we're not regulated. I take it there's really nothing directly on point. Do you see that changing? Is there interest in this? How do you see that beginning to unfold? Well, let's start, first of all, with um, the regulation side from the EEOC. Okay. There is no guidelines on the use of artificial intelligence from the EEOC. The only thing that artificial intelligence uh, vendors are using are the 19 uniform guidelines on employee selection procedures, which I know you know very well, um, but those were developed in 1978, not just with us, but the Department of Labor and the Department of Justice. And that's where the, the whole four-fifths rule comes out. But that is very um, unique to the disparate impact where a lot of these AI cases can come. And essentially, uh, it it's not a, a rule, it's, it's guidelines, but the guideline says, you know, the sample sets versus those selected versus not those selected is it, the 20% is, is the difference there, four fifths, the 80% rule. That essentially is not disparate impact if it's uh, at least 80% of the, the, the characteristics selected. So that is the only area where there is sort of regulation, but obviously it doesn't address AI. So there's been a lot of interest on the outside for the EEOC to regulate or, or put out some guidance in this area. In 2018, now Vice President Harris and Senators Murray and Warren wrote to the EEOC about the use of facial recognition technology, which is another section of AI about how it's used for job interviews, because there's mounting evidence. They claimed that facial recognition tools perpetuate gender, racial, age, and other biases. So if companies are using that in the hiring process, um, it could be potentially discriminate discriminatory. The center has requested the EEOC develop guidelines on the use of facial recognition. Then December of last year, 10 senators wrote another letter to the EEOC, and they really went at the actual AI use for hiring. They recommended the EEOC do oversight on these hiring technologies They invest that we investigate, that we enforce, and we produce guidelines, and they asked a series of questions. But for me, as an individual commissioner, I believe that this industry needs guidance, that they deserve guidance, that it is obviously new technology, it's being implemented. And as the federal government, we need to provide that guidance. And obviously we are an enforcement agency and we have that ability to bring federal investigations and federal litigations. But first, I don't think that's necessarily fair if we haven't opined on these exact 
um, issues unique to this new technology, which didn't exist in 1978, which didn't exist in the 1960s when Title VII was written. So I very much when I was at the Department of Labor, like I am here, I believe enforcement and education go hand in hand, that before we start enforcing that we should put out documents, that we should put out guidelines to allow um, those using these technologies and these, those creating these technologies to have the rules of the road. And that's certainly something I'm very interested in working on and I'm planning on doing in my tenure here at the EEOC. A lot of other commissioners have taken up projects uh, like whether it's LGBT discrimination or the Me Too movement. This is gonna be my project. In one way or the other, um, I'm gonna help uh, employers using this technology, the vendors creating this technology, and employees who are subject to this technology have some guidance in some way or the other. I just think it's so important. Like I said, it's out there, and there's just so much interest in it, um, not only in the federal government, but from the private sector. Uh, boy, Keith, I, I couldn't agree with you more, and I think that's perfectly stated, because at this point, honestly, it feels a little bit like the Wild West. Half the employers that want to use it are afraid to, because they don't quite know how to assess it, uh, how to really look under the hood and determine whether it's going to be problematic or expose them to potentially massive legal claims and, and potential liabilities. Others tend to use it and figure, you know, we'll hope for the best and see how it works out. But it, the opportunity is now. And um, even though there are those horror stories out there, you've mentioned the facial recognition, that's one. That, to me, is just a question of whether that doesn't mean that all the technology is bad. Maybe a particular application. Maybe the way that particularly was used. Maybe it was a much earlier version. These things change. If we thought the COVID situation changes rapidly, AI changes really rapidly. Really rapidly. And, the, and these tools may be very helpful. Yes. And some bad actors, like we see in, any, in all industries, may just want to use it the wrong way. And that also is not right. And there needs to be reminders from our perspective on that. And, you know, if we don't do it here at the EEOC from the federal government, what we're starting to see is a patchwork of state and local laws. Illinois did a facial recognition law. New York City is working on an AI uh, disclosure law that's, that's in process. And I believe that these are our laws and we need to be taking the initiative of that because it's being used nationwide um, by employers and we should set the standard. That is correct. Well, I certainly hope that we're able to follow that path. We would be very interested in working with you and the commission on these issues. They are critical. They are the issues not only of today, but tomorrow. And to some degree, and I don't mean to minimize COVID, AI is a huge issue. That It has a much longer footprint that is changing the dynamic of the workplace every bit as much as COVID, if not more. And, we'll and it's continue. affecting every aspect of employment from the time you want to read a job description to the time you think you can apply to chats, seeing if you're a good fit, to um, playing computer games instead of submitting a resume to see what your skills are, um, to actually getting the job, to moving around to different jobs. And Another thing I want to mention, too, is uh, on the disability discrimination side, I do think AI can very much help people who are disabled get into the workforce, get opportunities that they may otherwise not even have the opportunity for because of disability discrimination and employers in person, um, potentially, not, although it's horribly illegal, not wanting to interview people because they may have to give reasonable accommodation. A computer doesn't know that and computer doesn't see that. But at the same time, these technologies that can help disabled people get in the workplace can't exclude them from the workplace based on them right. not being able to use that technology. So I, I do think it is just 
it affects not only every aspect of employment AI, but it affects everything we do here and all the laws we administer and enforce. And I think it is a, a worthy project and I think it will have a, a long lasting effect. And like I said, I'm committed to doing it. Great. Well, I hope you're successful and uh, we're, we're here to help you and, and appreciate your leadership on that issue so much. All right. Well, Keith, this has been a terrific conversation. And I want to thank you for being so generous with your time today uh, and sharing so much. I mean, talk about inside information. Uh, there's a ton of it here. And we appreciate your leadership on these issues and particularly the AI, but but all these other issues. And uh, we're, we're glad you are where you are. Uh, keep it up. And uh, we look forward to staying in touch with you and working closely with you and your colleagues at the EEOC. And thank you for having me. And thank you for all your uh, continued valuable input and for doing this podcast. You know, it really brings uh, to light a lot of the issues like we talked about earlier with the Congressional Review Act. I know you, you explained it very eloquently on your podcast for people <laughs> outside of D.C., but things like that. You know, they're very hard to follow when you're outside of DC. But as you see now, going back to the conciliation rule, it has such significant impact. So oh, yeah. um, keep, uh, keep opening up uh, DC with your insider podcast. Well, thanks, Keith. We appreciate it. So for all of you out there, we appreciate you listening to us today. You can subscribe to us. Uh, you can go on Spotify or your Apple podcast or whatever your favorite provider is. And we look forward to continuing these discussions in the future. Uh, and keeping everyone up to date. Again, Commissioner Keith Sonderling, thanks so much. Thank you. Thanks, everyone. We look forward to the next update. For those that would like to connect with any of the lawyers from Fortney Scott, please reach out to them directly by visiting fortneyscott.com. On the website, you can also listen to previous podcast episodes, as well as pick up your copy of the DC Insider Report and sign up for future updates. Thanks so much for listening.